0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com.
1: Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 2, verses 22 through 41. Men of Israel, hear these words. with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would not set one of that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I want to go ahead and pray for us and we'll get into our text this morning. Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to gather together with your people. I thank you for the worship team up here and just the um, amazing atmosphere of worship this morning and just how your spirit loves to accompany the praises of your people and just draw our gaze up to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we thank you for being here. I thank you for your word. I pray that um, you would help me rightly divide the word of truth, that you would help me think rightly and speak clearly. It would be all of you. And None of me this morning, Father. I pray that you would just draw our attention to Jesus and help uh, encourage us for this year ahead. I pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, a healthy practice for us at the beginning of a new year is to look back over our last year and to look forward into our new year. We look back over this past year at what God has done so that we can rejoice in God and glorify Him for His works among us. Now, this is even more important this year as we're just coming out of a dumpster fire, right? So it's even more important this year after 2020 to look back and let's search the vine and see if we can see some fruit there. Now, also today marks the nine-year anniversary of our first public worship gathering. So I'm gonna take a little bit of time. I'm gonna share a little bit of my story and a little bit of our story as a church. I grew up here in the Quad Cities in a Christian home. I loved God, went to church camp every summer, went to church pretty much any time the doors were open. But in junior high, through a few circumstances at our church, uh, my family stopped going to church for several years, and God has made us all worshipers, we're born worshipers, And if you stop worshiping God, you're going to start worshiping something else, guaranteed. And so I stopped going to church and I stopped worshiping God for a season, though I would still consider myself a Christian in the back of my mind. I began to worship the teenage gods of pretty girls and sports. And that's where I found my identity. That's found my worth. That's where I found my happiness. For the next several years of my life, I just threw myself into that. Now, it wasn't until late into my senior year of high school that God gripped my heart and drew me back into a relationship with him and his church. My family began to attend uh, church again on a weekly basis, and God uh, really just gave me new spiritual life. I came alive. I began to have a desire for himself and an immense hunger to know him. I started reading my Bible every day for the first time in my life. I started volunteering at the church and I went on to uh, wrestle at Augustana, and at Augustana, I was kind of on fire for God, and I was bringing all these people in to the church. All my, um, all my buddies were coming to the church, and I was seeing them get saved, and I was getting really excited about um, what God was doing. I started volunteering in the youth department, and eventually, they asked me to preach one or two times, and I began to sense that maybe God was calling me to do this full-time, to be a full-time pastor. Now, to make a long story short, <clears throat> um, I kind of, a lot of people affirmed that calling in my life. I started preaching for the youth ministry and then I came on staff as the director of, um, the director of operations for the youth department. And then I became a junior high youth pastor. And then I got called to be a, a youth pastor at another church in the Quad Cities. And I was there a youth pastor for seven years, which is where I met many of you here at our church. And we saw God do some pretty remarkable things during our time there. God did grew a group of seven kids, four or five of them being my own cousins, into one of the largest youth ministries in the Midwest. We saw um, hundreds of kids come to faith. I remember one night we blew up a, one of those kiddie pools that are like this big, inflatable. We put it down at the bottom of the church and we baptized 93 teenagers in one night. We saw God do some pretty spectacular things there. Um, it was a pretty, pretty exciting time. Then in 2009, I experienced the confluence of three things that brought about a great change in my life. First, I read a book by John Piper called "Don't Waste Your Life." Now, this book was kind of like a gateway drug into gospel-centered reform theology, and it set me on fire for theology and for the glory of God. Second, during the same time, I discovered the Acts 29 Church Planting Network and a group of men who preached through the Bible expositionally and exegetically. That means verse by verse through books of the Bible, applying it to the current issues of the day and our uh, current cultural reality, just our human experience day in and day out, that made the scriptures come alive. Nearly every preacher says, we preach the Bible here, or I only preach the word of God, but most of the time in our culture today, preachers preach their own opinions and sprinkle some Bible verses in there for good measure. They preach on the the newest book that's out, and they sprinkle some Bible verses in there on top of it. What I saw in these Acts 29 pastors is preachers who preached long, exegetical, expository sermons that were theologically rich, culturally informed, historically accurate, and gospel-centered. And I felt like, for the first time, I was sinking my teeth into T-bone steak Every time they preached the gospel, I was just enthralled. And I was like, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to preach the gospel like that and preach the scriptures like that. Third, because of those two, two events coming together in my life, I began to see some glaring weaknesses in my own youth ministry and the church where I was serving. We were not doing a good job of making disciples. We were pretty good at gaining a crowd and entertaining people with catchy sermon series, creative illustrations, and amazing music. But I discovered that the church was meant to be much more than that. The church isn't just, isn't meant to be a place that provides religious entertainment. It's meant to be, it's meant to mold souls into the character of Christ. It's meant to form people to look more and more and more like Jesus. So in my angst, I began to toss around this idea of planting a new church that would be passionate in the Quad Cities about God, about teaching the scriptures, and about making disciples for the glory of God, and eventually maybe even planting more churches. Now I shared this with a few friends, and I shared this with my family, and they were all kind of optimistic and kind of encouraging, but also, you know, proceed with trepidation here, Justin, don't get too excited. And so that week I went and I was 30 years old and I sat down with the pastor and I told the pastor, I had this desire to plant a church and, and I, I, you know, went and he's like, well, what's your timeline? I have no idea. You're, you know, you're the first, you the you're, I'm going to you first and I don't know when this is going to be. And, well, what's your timeline? I'm like, maybe 10 months from now. I have no idea. And at first, he was optimistic and kind of encouraging. And then a week later, he calls me into his office and he fires me. Now, this knocked my world into a tailspin. I was 30 years old, felt called by God to plant a church, but was not prepared for it. The idea itself was only a few weeks old. I had over 300 teenagers in my youth ministry week in and week out. I loved them, cared for them. I was their pastor. I wanted to shepherd them, and I didn't want to just bail on them and abandon them to go start something new. And now here I am, wanting to plant a church, wanting to be faithful to what God's called me to do. And here I am, out in the street with, you know, not knowing what my future is going to hold. At this point in time, you know, we're what are we going to do? Are we going to plant this church? We had no name. We had no building, we had no plan, we had no vision, we had no money and only a few adults. On top of all of that, my wife Amanda was pregnant with our second child and now I was out of a job with no severance pay and no health care. What are we going to do? Well, we had a we didn't have any adults per se, but we had a lot of college kids. <laughs> and we got all these college kids in my, in my living room, and we're, we're crying, and we're praying, and what are we gonna do? And we had a whole lot of angst, and we had a whole lot of passion. And what we decided to do, six days later, we had our first service, right? We didn't have much wisdom, but we had a lot of, get, let's, get, let's make it happen, right? And <clears throat> now, that first week, we had 150 people show up. Now, it was mostly students and college kids, but that's how Sacred City, we call it around here, version one, Sacred City, version one, got started. Now, with that, God had been doing things in my own soul that I, like I said, I realized that I had some glaring weaknesses. I I realized that um, I'd watched my personality in other churches and other places kind of grow a thing. And then that thing implode and that guy, you know, do dumb stuff and lead and, 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 um, In rough and arrogant ways. And so right away I said, I know I need accountability. I need oversight. I need people to speak into my life and help shape me. And so I signed up for an Acts 29 boot camp. And a boot camp, you go there, it's a very intense assessment process, many hours long. Other uh, seasoned pastors assess you and your wife. And they just say, they try to get the sense, are you called to plant a church? And are you called to plant a church with with, Acts 20, with the Acts 29 network? Well, my wife and I, We signed up for this boot camp, the earliest one possible. It was four weeks later. So we planted the church. We had four services. We flew down to Louisville and we did this boot camp. And for the first time, I was in the presence of these other pastors. I was watching them teach the word, listening to them teach the word, just watching them how they shepherded and how they interacted with one another, how they were such strong, masculine men. And yet they were humble and they they were fun to be around and they weren't stodgy. They weren't stuffed up. They were just... I'm like, these are men that I want to be like, and they're planting churches that I want to plant. So God puts me in this assessment process. If you were at um, Porterbrook a couple weeks back, Bob Thune was one of my assessors at the time. And these men spent three hours with my wife and I. We had to fill out all kinds of applications, all kinds of things. And basically we get to the end of it. They ask us tons of questions. And they say, Justin, your leadership scores, your entrepreneurial scores are off the charts, but we're worried about your heart. We have no doubt if we throw you in the deep end, you're going to succeed. You're going to plant a big church. You're going to plant a thriving church. But what we're worried about is you. We're worried about your soul in the process. And so what we recommend is that actually you close the church down because you've, the, ch- the kind of church you're trying to plant, you've never experienced yourself. The kind of pastor you want to be, you've never actually seen it done. The kind of husband you want to be, the kind of father you wanna be. You've never seen it done. So we think you should close down your ministry, move to one of our churches, one of our areas, be a pastoral resident or church planting resident in training, get the training and the care you need for a couple years, and then maybe if the Lord wills it, you could go back to the quad cities and plant a church. Now immediately, I'm weeping, I'm crying, my wife's weeping, we're crying. You know, did I mention the fact that we had already planted the church, right? We're four weeks in. We went through all this confusing. How am I going to get paid? What am I going to do? I kind of went back to construction. I didn't really know what to do. And now we are dove headfirst into planting this church. We had 150 people. I'm their pastor. I was a wrestling coach at, for a high school at the time. So many of these people came through my, uh, my wrestling program and they came to faith for the first time. And so they, I was their pastor. They were my sheep. And now what am I going to do? Just leave them? We looked across the table from these guys, and we said, yeah, we respect you and all, but no, that ain't happening. We, we can't do that. And they said, all right, well, you pray about it, you think about it, and uh, you let us know. I was like, all right. So man and I, we go out to eat that night. We're, we're sitting at dinner, and we're thinking and talking and praying. And one, I just did not want to admit defeat too. That's the most humbling thing in the world to like get fired and then plant a church and then close the church down. But by the end of that meal, and man, I looked at one another and we're like, we think we've been praying for oversight. We've been praying for wisdom. We've been praying for pastors that really know the word and know us and will, are willing to, to invest in us and shepherd us. And now we've got it here and we're, we're about to just ignore their advice. I said, no, I don't think we can do that. I think this is what, this doesn't sound fun. This doesn't sound exciting, but I think this is what God's calling us to do. And so we decided to humble ourselves and Take their advice. Now at this time, lots of people at Sacred City were texting us, how'd the interview go? How'd the assessment go? What's going on? And we ghosted them all. We're, we're like, oh, brutal. My parents, you know, are excited. no response from me. We get back and we're like, so, I know four weeks ago, I just got all you guys, we rallied together, and we planted this church, but now we're actually going to shut it down. It, that was one of the most difficult decisions that I've ever had to make in my life. And it was humiliating. Had to go back to construction for a few months while Amanda, until Amanda gave birth to Zoe. Once she gave birth to Zoe, they invited us out to Omaha, Nebraska, and we became church planter residents in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, I often tell people never, don't, I don't really like looking, you know, looking at my life and saying, okay, things are going well here. Obviously, this is God leading me this path, or things are going poorly. This is obviously God's closing that door. I don't like judging people my my life that way and mainly because that's not been my experience okay i got fired god called me to plant a church i got told no at x29 go to omaha we go to omaha to check it out for the first time ever we step into the room with this church nobody's like me nobody has view in nobody is like okay i was an athlete i was a kind of a dumb jock type of guy they're all artists when i sit down with them this one guy's telling me that he's addicted to a video game. And I'm like, yeah, you look like you're addicted to a video game, you dork. You know, like I was like judging this guy hard. The next day we wake up and our windshield is busted out of our car and it snowed six inches. Car is full of six inches of snow. Then that night I go back to this men's gathering and this guy that I thought was a complete dork sits down next to me and starts talking to me and starts asking me questions and starts pulling some things apart in my soul and start speaking to me. And I'm like, whoa. And it ends up after a year and a half of being in Omaha, this guy becomes one of my best friends. And he can just, he, I called him a gospel wizard because he knew how to get to the, the deepest parts of my heart and speak the gospel into it. And so in this moment, we're sitting there, we're like, this is so awkward. This is so weird. But we feel like God's called us to be a part of this church. So we closed down the church. And we, as soon as Zoe was born, we packed all of our stuff up. And we moved to Omaha to do this two-year church planting residency. Now, our time in Omaha, it was not a walk in the park. It was incredibly difficult. We lived in a small third-floor apartment with two kids. No elevator. Had to carry all all the grocery bags and kids and babies up three flights of stairs. We burned through all of our life savings. As I was just doing the residency until my wife got tired of me being around the house too much, and she filled out an application for me at Whole Foods, and they called me and told me I had a job, and I didn't fill out the application I was like, oh, my wife is really tired of me. Okay, I guess I'll take the job. I was working part-time at Whole Foods and I was doing my residency full-time. I completed that, as I completed that residency, we were parenting, you know, we had two kids for the first time, adjusting to a new city with no friends, with no family for the first time in our life. We'd, we'd, we were both born and raised here in the Quad Cities and it was incredibly hard. But at the same time, Amanda and I both felt God's nearness. We knew he was doing some deep work in our souls. We knew that this is what God has called us to do. It was the first time in my Christian life that I had elders who I could look up to and who were taking an active role in my discipleship. Church wasn't just about coming on Sunday and hearing a sermon. Church went on through the weeks. We were having different meetings and different gatherings and and we were being shaped in a lot of different ways. It was the first time in a decade that I was out of a leadership position in a church and my soul thrived. I had time to read and study like never before. I wasn't just reading so I could preach. I was just reading so I could learn about God, reading so I could understand scripture and my, my soul just flourished. For the first time in my life, I developed deep friendships and learned how the gospel can actually do more than just save a person. It can also change uh, the entirety of a person's life. It can change the way you relate to your spouse. It can change the way you parent your children. The gospel can change the way you relate to friends and your work and your hobbies. That the gospel is meant to impact every single part of our life. Now, I'm not being overly dramatic when I say our time in Omaha changed our lives. It was about eight months into our time there when God started to speak to me about Sacred City. It was funny, the elders called me together and they said, hey, good news. I'm like, okay. They're like, the work that we wanted to see God doing you, he's done. I'm like, it was only eight months into it. I'm like, what? He's like, yep, we're ready to pray for you, send you back to Quad Cities. And I was like, nope, I'm not ready. I'm like, my soul was thriving. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm enjoying this right here. I'm going to sit on it for a little bit. And so what happened was the first eight months of our residency was God doing work on me and God doing work on my wife, God doing work in my soul. And then the next eight months was God saying, now, how do you take this home? What type of church will you plant because of this in the Quad Cities? And so we spent the next eight months planning, preparing, praying, coming back, meeting occasionally with people and asking God, what would you have us do in the Quad Cities when we move back? And every time I would study the scriptures and every time I would think about the future of Sacred City, God kept bringing me back to our text today. Acts 2, 22 through 41, where we see the church In its infancy, we see that it's not fancy. It has a rather simple recipe, but its impact is eternal. See, I grew, when I came to faith, I came to faith when the church was trying to be like the culture. Preachers often said stuff like this, church shouldn't be boring. And so the church tried to entertain people. We had lights and lasers and fog machines and subwoofers that could beat your heart for you, right? We had funny illustrations, pastors coming in on Harleys, and pastors doing kind of all kind of silly stuff. And the sermons went from an hour long to twenty minutes, and the whole everything was shaped by the culture. Oh, what what type of um entertain, what type of uh, attention span do they have? Let's just. Narrow things down to that and let's do that because the whole goal of church is to get people on a Sunday morning in a seat to let them hear the gospel and then they go back to their ordinary life and then next week we do the same thing over and over and over again. Well, I had just experienced the complete opposite of that. Church was about more than just Sunday morning. It's about how you're living all your life. The gospel changes not just you going to heaven and your relationship with God, but it can actually affect your whole entire life. Well, how can I bring that back to the Quad Cities? Boom, the Lord kept bringing me back to Acts chapter two. So let's go there. We're gonna go verse by verse quickly through here, as quick as I can do it. Um, Verse 22, this is Peter the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, emboldens him, empowers him to preach the gospel. And this is what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. First off, I want you to see, we're speaking of a historical person. Jesus is not an idea. Jesus is not a mythic man. Jesus is not, you know, some kind of spiritual lala. Jesus was a historical man. When Peter stands up to preach, he's basically pointing at a man that they all knew, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus Christ was crucified by the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. The devil didn't sneak one past the plate on God on the day Jesus Christ was crucified. Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the world. That's that's the plan from the very get-go was to crucify Jesus, to pay the, the price for our sins that we owe and to forgive us of our sins. God had it set in history. That date was set in history. He says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was the son of God. So Jesus could not die and Jesus was resurrected to new life. Now listen, that is the gospel, okay? That's the gospel and it's historical content, okay? That's the historical content of the co- of the gospel. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a man. He lived a perfect life. He died what, the death that we deserve. He was raised to new life. Death could not hold him. He was resurrected to new life. That's the gospel, okay? That's the gospel. Now, I'm gonna skip the next few verses here because basically he's gonna, Peter quotes from Psalm uh, 16. He's making reference that when David was writing that, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus Christ, the one who would never see Corruption. Let's jump down to verse 31. He, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, so that historical person, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Eyewitnesses were there at present. He's going to go on or being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now, let's verse, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter preaches the gospel. Now, what was their response? Here it is, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Preaching the gospel, the first response was not warm fuzzies. Preaching the gospel, the first response was not, I feel deeply encouraged and more ready to take on my life. Preaching the gospel cut them to the heart. They were convicted. When you preach the gospel, you should be convicted unless you're not a sinner. Then then you're good, okay? Keep going. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So Jesus Christ lived, died, resurrected. When they preached that, the natural response for the listener was, what do I need to do? Jesus was risen, From the dead, Jesus was raised to new life. What does that require of me? What is God asking of me? Why would God do such a thing? What does he want from me? What does he say right here? Verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what happens? Verse 41 So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, boom. The church begins here. How does it begin? The gospel is preached, okay? The gospel is planted in a particular soil, in a particular culture, and they trust the sovereignty of God to bring about new converts, which bring about a new thriving church. So Peter preaches the gospel, the people repent, get baptized, 3,000 people get saved. Now what would we do today if that happened? I'll tell you what I think we would do. We would would probably just pull the Billy Graham card, right? We'll be like, do it again tomorrow night. And we'd set up the trucks and we'd preach the gospel again. We'd hope for another 3,000, maybe 3,000, 5,000, 8,000, 10,000. And that It's been kind of locked into our Western mindset that that's what church is about. Church is just about preaching the gospel and people coming to Christ. But that's not how this story ends. That's not what they do the next day. Peter doesn't get back out on the street and do another mass crusade. Look what happens in verse 42, the next verse. They devoted themselves, who? The converts, the new believers, the new Christians, all the people who believe the gospel, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay, what does this mean? These new converts became passionate about the word of God. They wanted to know, Peter, teach us more. Eventually, Paul, teach us more. We want to understand the scriptures. We want to understand who Jesus was and what he's doing. How is he renewing all things and what's he called us to do? Teach us more of the word. Now, listen, that means, do you see the word devoted? They were devoted to it. They wanted to read the Bible. They wanted to know the scriptures. They wanted to know the God of the scriptures. God's calling us into that even again this year to read his word, to, to devote ourselves to the teaching of sacred city, to the preaching of the word. to to spend more time studying the word and listening to the preaching and teaching of the word than you do on podcasts or that you do on social media posts or you do on bestsellers, reading bestsellers. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. Devote yourselves to the scriptures. And guess what else? The fellowship. Devote ourselves to the fellowship. See, when God saved them, he adopted them. It wasn't just the salvation between you and God. Now, okay, now I can have my own personal relationship with God and I can pray by myself and I can read by myself and I can do what I want to do. No, no, you've been brought into a family and so now you need to be devoted to this family. You need to be devoted to the fellowship. It's not a Sunday, it's just a Sunday thing. It's not a one day a week thing. You're devoted to it. And what else are you devoted to? The breaking of bread, eating together the Lord's Supper and the prayers. That's the liturgical formation of their prayer life. More than likely, they were praying the Psalms and they had a, a, different prayers that they prayed together. Keep reading. And what happened? And awe came upon every soul. Guys, listen, it wasn't just. Preach the gospel, 3,000 people get saved. All came upon everyone. It was preach the gospel, 3,000 people get saved, and then they all started living like a family. And all came upon every soul. Keep reading. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were together. Being a Christian is about being together being with other Christians, living in a gospel community, living in a missional community, living in a family together. They had all things in common. Well, what does that mean? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Do you see what happened here? Now listen, in the the, uh, Roman Empire during this time, historians say that the Romans were very liberal with their sexuality and very conservative with their resources and their finances. That means they were promiscuous. Their sexuality was like for everyone. They had temple prostitutes and all kinds of stuff. But when it came to the resources, they were very conservative. This is mine, not yours. I don't really, they didn't concern themselves about the poor at all. But in the church, in the house of God, those values got flipped upside down, and the Christians became very conservative with their sexuality. That's just for me and my spouse, and very liberal with their resources. As they saw one of their missional community members with needs, they would sell. I'm going to put it in hard t- day and na- day vernacular. They would sell the boat. They would sell the vacation home. They would sell some of their stocks off in order to pay off their debt, in order to meet their medical bills, in order to help them out financially. Do you see this radical nature of a gospel community happening in the first church? And look what happened here. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This was a fun place to be around. There was happiness. There was joy. There was gladness. They're eating they're, they're probably are about to be persecuted, but they're eating, they're enjoying one another, they're praying together, they're breaking bread, they're giving each other's, meeting each other's needs, and they're not, they don't, they don't have their arm twisted behind their back. They're not, oh, i got to go to community again. Oh, i got to sit in a room with these people I don't have anything in common with. No, their experience of the gospel empowered them to live in a new way in this community where they enjoyed one another and they enjoyed God and they enjoyed the everyday gifts that God gave them. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And look at this. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. What does that mean? We say around here, that's what it means to be missional. Missional. It wasn't a closed group where me and my friends are studying the Bible and nobody can come to. It was an open group that people from the community could look at and go, they're feasting and they're enjoying one another and they're meeting each other's needs. And I want to be a part of that. Can I come? Of course you can come. Come in here. And they step in and it feels different. I've never felt a community like this. It's because it's centered on the grace of God. It's centered on the gospel. No other community in the world can create what we have here because only the gospel can create this type of culture. And God was adding people to their numbers day by day by day, not just on Sunday or Saturday or whenever they had their gathering. So right here we see, this is where we get the DNA of Sacred City. You see the gospel, you see community, And you see, mission. That's the three ingredients for the church. This is the biblical concept of church. It's not a building, it's a gospel centered people living in community and on mission for the glory of God. Also, it's really not that spectacular, it's normal teaching, fellowship, food, sacraments, prayer, giving, singing, praising God, leading others to come to know and love our gracious God. That's what church is meant to look like. A gospel-centered family on mission with God. So as I'm studying this text, I'm I'm like, this is what I want to see the Lord do. I've never been a part of a church like this before, but this is what I want to see the Lord do. Could we have a church that looks and feels like this? So we decided to structure our church around what we called missional communities. Communities of 10 to 30 people who aren't a small group, though they're smaller, who gather together weekly around the gospel, learn together, eat together, pray together, celebrate together, share life together, and live on mission together. Then on Sundays, instead of Sunday being the main thing, Sunday would be when all of our missional communities gather together to worship God and have our souls formed through the liturgy and the sacraments and the preaching of God's word and the worship. And Nine and a half years ago, my family moved back to the Quad Cities to try out this old idea of a gospel centered missional church. When we first got back, that 150 people were whittled down to about 30. Everybody kind of went on and did did their own thing. We've been gone for over a year and a half and we had no Sunday morning gathering. We just had a missional community met in my living room. We had about 30 people and Eventually we started like a closed Sunday night gathering for just our members. It wasn't open yet because I, wanted, I didn't want to start a Sunday gathering until we had at least three missional communities, because I, want, I didn't want our church just to be another Sunday morning church. I wanted our church to be a missional community. I wanted it to be based out of Acts 2, and it looked like Acts 2, so I wanted to have three missional communities and have that DNA all the way through our church, people living like missionaries, people living like family, before we opened up a Sunday gathering, and people could just show up and just do the Sunday thing. Well, our missional community quickly multiplied and multiplied again. And on January 1st, 2012, six months after moving back to the Quad Cities and starting a missional community, we officially launched our public Sunday gathering right here in the Junior Theater with a whopping 69 adults and 20 kids in attendance. Now, <clears throat> over the last nine years, we have grown to a church of 19 missional communities, two congregations with Pastor Sam leading. Sacred City Moline, and every single year we have seen God grow our church. If you can remember back last year at this time, we were forced to multiply our Sunday gathering into two because we had outgrown this space, and we were poised to have our best year ever. And God said, hold my beard. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) right? He's like, COVID-19, bro, COVID-19. And then the next two months, we're completely online, right? Next two months were awful, in my opinion. Not only did I hate having to preach to an empty room and stare into a video camera like some kind of televangelist, I just, every week I was like, I felt like I was going to go, put your hands on the screen right now because I got something for, I felt like that, something was coming over me every time right or I was going to just take up another offering. I didn't know which one to do. It was awful. See why? Because God is crea- he is a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We sing about him in the song today. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, God is a community. We were created for community. We're not created for virtual relationships. We're not created for virtual church. We're created to be in person with one another. Online church is awful and should only be used in extremely rare circumstances. If you're providentially hindered, it should not be used just as it like, you know, church 2.0 or church 3.0. You know what? I don't feel like getting out of my jammies today. I'm going to watch it online. No, that's not church. It's not church. You need to be in person to get the real experience of church. Now, I'm just going to, so that happened obviously in March. And then the spiral began. For the first time in our church's life, we didn't get to have a Tenenbrae service, a Good Friday service. We didn't get to have an Easter service. We didn't get to have a Christmas Eve service. And those three gatherings are meant to shape the Christian's year. They're meant to form us. Our lives are meant to revolve around those things. So Lent leads us into thinking about our sinfulness, thinking about our brokenness, longing for Christ to come. We go into Good Friday. We experience the pain and the depth and the darkness of Good Friday. And then two days later, we get to experience the brightness and the resurrection power of Easter Sunday. And that brings us to really the high point of our year. And then we work our way through the seasons and we get to Christmas and we get or we get to Christmas Eve and we're longing once again for Christ to come. And then we get to be reminded that he did come as a baby. He's gonna come again. And we get to light those candles and celebrate the light of the world, our lives are meant to be shaped around the liturgical church calendar. And those were all taken from us. And it's appropriate to grieve that. Those were a deep loss. When when I had to cancel Christmas Eve, guys, that was very hard for me. I was very broken about it. Me and the Lord had words, okay? We had serious, I'm like, it's your day. It's your day. You're in control of the weather. What's going on? I was, I'm like, e- Good Friday, Easter, and now Christmas Eve. Come on. I was frustrated. Missing those gatherings, we can grieve them. They were a loss. Then, but then last year, so then after we come out of Easter time, right, then as the weather began to change, we had the great opportunity to gather together outside of the lawn, under the tent. That was probably the best gathering I've ever been to in my entire life. It was like a giant, worshipful, sacred city family reunion. It felt so good to be back together in person with one another. We had good weather for the first few weeks, right? First couple months, actually. And it was amazing. Then literally, the next day, George Floyd was killed by police officers in Minneapolis. And that event exposed just how divided We are as a nation. Times of peace and certainty, those fault lines, even though they run deep all the way down to our cores, we just don't notice them until something like that sparks. Fingers were pointed at those on the opposite side. Labels were applied and your response determined if you were either a racist or a Marxist. There was no gray area in between and nobody wanted any nuance. Everyone lost their minds. We had riots in our streets and nights of terror in our cities. The Davenport, the Quad Cities, we never thought this would happen to us. And many of us stayed up all night long listening to the police scanner. Then, in August, we all learned a new word. Derecho. An inland hurricane? What? What is happening? Right? Many of us started studying the book of Revelation. Right? We knew. Where's the trumpets? I knew this is one of the trumpets. Right? Many of us lost power for a week. We spent the next few days with chainsaws and helping out neighbors and clearing trails and clearing streets and clearing fallen trees. And then came the election. And it was revealed that politics is everyone's real religion. See, everything is now political. Racism, political. Science, political. Shutdowns, political. Social distancing guidelines, political. Masks, political. Everything is now political. Everything is filtered through our own political pundits' perspectives and we all have our experts on the internet favorited on our phone that we can pull up and we can show you why we're doing what we're doing. And at Sacred City, we have always had what we call an open-handed policy when it came to issues not clearly laid out in Scripture. So we are closed-handed on the gospel. That's why we're gospel-centered. If it's about the gospel, we are closed-handed. We will divide. We will fight. We will die for these doctrines and these truths. But other things we're open-handed on. Baptism is one of them. Where the Bible is black and white, we are going to be black and white. But where the Bible is nuanced, we should be nuanced. I've worked really hard studying scriptures and presenting to our church a nuanced position on cultural issues. I do not want to draw lines in the sand when it's not necessary. But now, many were asking me to do just that. And if I didn't, They could just go to their own internet preacher and find their own guy who wants to draw lines in the sand. Missional communities were divided. Gathering was divided. Social media was a dumpster fire, like it always is. Many people left. That's okay. I don't like it. I never like it when people leave. But John tells us in, his, in, the book, in the letter that he wrote, in 1 John 2.19, he says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they, were, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might become plain that they are all not of us. I don't know what the Lord's doing in 2020. Maybe he's just pruning the vine. I don't know what he's doing. On top of all of that, we had several members in our church diagnosed with cancer. Difficult things going on in people's families. My dad nearly cut his hand off the table with a chop saw. I broke my throat in (laughs) jujitsu. Then we got the surprising news. Amanda's pregnant with our fifth child. Like, okay, 2020 coming in hot. 2020 was disorienting for all of us. But here's the deal. It didn't surprise God. We've said... probably the word of the year in 2020 is probably unprecedented. And that's not true, right? We didn't just make it through a year. The church, the everyday, normal gospel preaching, living in community, living on mission, church has made it through over 2,000 years, actually. We've made it through a black plague that killed over 75 million people. We made it through that. God preserves his church. Now, as I'm getting ready to preach this sermon, typically, this sermon is one of my favorites all year to preach because this has been our church right here. More disciples made, more baptisms, more churches planted. It's been up and to the right. And then 2020! I'm like, what am I going to say? By then, I just said, you know what? Let me think about my missional community because through this year, we fought hard to still live in community and on mission. We go back to my, whatever, what can, let me think about my MC, the one I'm living in community with, the one I'm on, I'm on mission with. And in spite of all of the difficulty we've been through, God has still been at work in my MC, I know. I can see God's fingerprints all over it. COVID canceled. Brandon's Tuesday night pool league. Brandon and Angie joined our MC. God's done great things in their life. They both of them joined Porterbrook, They work in their way through Porterbrook. Our MC came together and pulled off a COVID wedding for Connor and Sarah. Bryce and Emily joined our missional community when we were meeting outdoors in the driveway and they've been a part of our family ever since. Listen to this. You want to talk about awkward times in missional community? Meeting in a driveway, we're sitting there and all of a sudden we hear, we, hear, we look and there's a deer running through the street right next to us. You try to keep your prayer on point when there's a deer running through your missional community. Then every other week, the neighbor fires up the lawnmower right in time for prayer. I'm like, Lord bless you, buddy. Lord bless you, right? God brought Abby back to himself from a season where she was away doing her own thing and not walking with Jesus. And we have watched her come alive and flourish in her relationship with God and our missional community family. We watched God bring in Cliff who had been nominally religious his whole life but never understood the gospel. Then we watched as the gospel sustained Cliff through one of the most difficult seasons of his life. Amanda met Katie at the gym and invited her to church. And the first time she comes to church, we're outside in the tent and it's 32 degrees. She comes back the next week when it's 35 degrees. And she gives her heart to Jesus Christ. She heard the gospel for the first time in her life and she was saved. And she comes to our missional community. And maybe next week or a couple weeks she'll be getting baptized here. See, God did not take a year off. God continued working. God, and I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's just pushing the roots down deeper. Maybe he's pruning the trees. I'm not a prophet. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna stand up here and act like I know what he's been doing. But all I know is his mission is moving forward. He won't stop. Now, I know all of us are hoping that 2021 would be better than 2020. But listen, we just didn't flip into some magical new wor- world. The calendar flipped over and nothing changed, guys. We don't know what 2021 holds, but in in a cliche way, we do know who holds 2021. And that's our sovereign God. And this is what I'm asking. I'm asking for 2021 to be a year of gospel renewal. We're going into our 10th year of ministry at Sacred City. I'm asking God to renew us again, to renew our passion for the lost, to renew our love for the gospel, to renew our love for one another, living in community and on mission with one another, that we would be quick to repent of our sins. We wouldn't be stodgy. We wouldn't be religious. We wouldn't be stuck in our own ways. But the gospel would once again begin to renew us from the inside out. We're a different church than we were 10 years ago. Many of us have got, I got a bunch more kids than I did 10 years ago. My schedule's busier. Got more stuff to worry about, more stuff to think about. But I'm asking God to renew us, renew us personally, renew us as families, renew us as missional communities, renew us as a whole church. Why? So when people step in, they feel gospel culture. A culture that is different from any other group they can go join in our world, in our city. They step in and they see something different, like here in Acts 2. And God would add to our numbers day by day those who are being saved. Now, what's the response? What what, what kind of response is, is needed from us? The same response that's needed from those when Peter preached the gospel. Repentance and faith. Let's turn from our own selfish ways, the ways that we've managed our fear, the way that we've managed our schedules, the way we've managed our finances, the way that we've sinned against God and we've focused on ourselves in 2020. Let's repent of that and let's put our faith in the gospel again and ask God to do something unique and new and fresh in us for 2020. Let's commit to the scriptures. Let's commit to the apostles' teaching. Let's commit to the prayers. Let's commit to community. It's what God's asking for us. Nothing new. It's real old, actually, but it might be new to us. I pray. Father, I'm hungry for gospel community. I'm hungry for this type of community that just feels good to be in because there's grace and mercy and love generosity, and kindness because the gospel is what centers us. Not politics, not race, not class, not wealth, not status, not neighborhoods, not hobbies. The gospel. I pray that even now you would bring people in. Those maybe hearing the gospel for the first time would put their faith in you and you would send the Holy Spirit into their heart and you would bring them into this family. They have a new community of people to do life with. Draw us to yourself and draw glory to yourself in the process, Lord. We thank you for your unstoppable mission to make yourself known. And now as we come to the table, Lord, we come repentant. We come turning away from our selfishness, turning away from the way that we try to manage our life. And we turn once again to you and to your forgiveness, and to your love, and your kindness. And Jesus, we take your body, and we take your blood, and we eat and drink it to be reminded of the gospel this morning, reminded of what you've done to save us from our sins, and to give us this new family to live our lives with. Thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.